0: Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Our scripture reading will be Luke 13, verses 1 through 9, if you could stand. I'll read the first verse and ask that you join with me on a 2nd or we'll continue every other verse. Luke 13, verses 1 through 9. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, And found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for these for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down, why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Father, I do pray that you would enlighten us through your word this morning, that you would give us the understanding that you intended in these verses, and that you would remind each of us of these important lessons that we should glean from the tragedies of our life. Uh, Help each of us to become more like you and less less like ourselves. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today's text is unusual in that it references uh, two current events going on in Israel in the days of Jesus. This is really a unique text in all of the Gospels. It's only found here in Luke 13, uh, where Jesus points to a a couple of tragedies happening uh, during that time period and draws lessons from them. And so I thought this morning we could use this as an opportunity to think about a recent event in our day uh, with a similar lesson, namely COVID-19. Of course, that has kind of turned everything upside down uh, over the last year and a half or so. And I have been uh, pretty much silent from the pulpit about coronavirus. Some of you have mentioned that to me. That's been intentional. Um I figured you get all of the voices from the news and social media and all of that. The last thing you need is to hear somebody else's opinion. Uh, so I've tried to keep quiet about that publicly and, uh, and just teach the Bible here, give us kind of a break from all of that noise uh, that's going on everywhere else. But now things are kind of slowly getting back to normal. People are Uh, Beginning to feel safe again. The pandemic seems to be largely behind us. And so I think it would be helpful for us uh, at this point to look back and to reflect on what lessons we should learn from such an event and to think about it from a biblical perspective. And so we're going to begin by reading the text and then we'll make some applications to the situation that uh, we've all experienced this past year. Luke 13, starting in verse 1, it says, There were present at that very time, uh, sorry, some present at that very time who told him, told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So there were some Galileans who had gone to Jerusalem, probably for Passover to offer uh, sacrifices there. And for some reason, we don't know why, uh, Pilate had killed them. He had presumably sent soldiers in and uh, and killed these Galileans in the temple. This was viewed as obviously a, a terrible tragedy. They were here worshiping God in this temple. And, and here comes Pilate to kill them. Of course, you also have the... Uh, just the ceremonial problem with their blood being mingled, sacrifice, it was a defilement in addition to the tragedy, of course, of their deaths. And so from the Jewish perspective, this was just a terrible thing that happened. Verse 2, Jesus responds, he says, he answered them, do you think that these Galileans, the ones that had been killed, were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then Jesus brings up a second a situation that had taken place uh, recently, verse 4. Those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Two tragedies with the same question asked and the same answer given. And I think this principle applies to all suffering. The first instance was murder, right? Pilate had killed these men. The second incident was an accident, seemingly anyway. A tower had fallen, 18 people happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and they were killed. And yet the conclusion from both is the same. And I see here three lessons that Jesus gives us in his response. Number one, when tragedy strikes, it's not always judgment for a specific sin. This was the common error of the thinking of the Jews, Uh, They assumed that if something terrible happened to somebody, it was indicative of some hidden sin in their lives. And so uh, the Galileans who Pilate had killed had to be worse sinners than everybody else in Galilee. Uh, The fact that those 18 people were killed in the tower incident meant that they had to be worse sinners, and that's why God judged them in this way. And Jesus says to that kind of thinking very simply, uh, no, wrong, Uh, wrong conclusion to draw. And so the first thing we ought to say about COVID-19 is we can't just jump to the conclusion that this is judgment from God. Okay, that is an assumption uh, that this is some sort of specific judgment, that those who died or were affected uh, by some tragedy like this, they were somehow less righteous, and that's why God didn't protect them. That is the wrong way to think about tragedies. Now, there are some instances in the Bible where God did judge people for their sin instantaneously. Think about in Leviticus, Nahab and Abihu in the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira. But those are some instances. There are also other cases in Scripture where righteous people suffered and it was not judgment for sin. Of course, prime example of that would be Jesus, right? Uh, Totally sinless, and yet he suffered a terrible fate. But even think of somebody like the Apostle Paul, uh, who faced imprisonment, who was beaten, who was stoned, who went through all sorts of terrible tragedies, all while doing the will of God. And so uh, just because some tragedy strikes, it doesn't mean that there is necessarily judgment for a specific sin. And yet that was the common thought of this day. Uh, there's an instance in John 9 where Jesus encounters a blind man and he heals him. But listen first to the disciples' assumption. John 9, verse 1, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And They just assumed that this was the result of some terrible sin. Uh, Verse uh, verse 3, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So assuming that a tragedy is the direct result of sin in the life of a victim is wrongheaded. Uh, This, you'll you'll remember, was the attitude of Job's three friends. If you read the book of Job, uh, the first two chapters tell us about all of these terrible tragedies that happened in the life of Job. His kids were killed. He lost all of his wealth uh, all in one day. And then three friends come along and basically for the next 30 chapters tell him, this is your fault. It's God's judgment on you for sin. And the point, one of the points that we should draw from the book of Job is that's not true. Uh, Job was a, an upright man who feared God, who hated evil. He was doing right. And so these tragedies had nothing to do with specific judgment from God against sin. Bad circumstances in this life do not mean that the person is a worse sinner. And good circumstances in life don't mean the person is a better person. I mean, think of the rich man and Lazarus would be another example of uh, a similar thing like that, where you've got one person who's going through terrible suffering and the other person who's living so um in such great circumstances, and yet one of them is judged by God, the other is not, and it's actually the reverse of what you might think. And so the first lesson is straightforward. When tragedy strikes, whether it's a tower falling or people being murdered or a deadly virus striking. It's not always a direct judgment from God. We should not jump to that conclusion uh, that it's punishment for sin when somebody experiences tragedy. The second point is related. Number two, you are just as much a sinner as anyone else. Uh, Notice Jesus said, you guys think these people who died in this way had to be worse sinners. Now, what does that imply? Uh, Well, those of us who didn't die when the tower fell must be really righteous people. And Jesus says, unless you repent, you will all perish. All of us are sinners, and we all equally deserve judgment from God. Romans 3, verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. And then verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is righteous in the sight of God. All of us are sinners, and all of us deserve God's judgment. Revelation 21, verse 8, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable. As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that f- that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. All of us are in that list somewhere. Uh, you might not have murdered anyone, but you've lied. You've been faithless. This is just saying that all sinners deserve the judgment of God. All of us have sinned, and we all have our place in the lake of, lake of fire after death. We all deserve this judgment from God. That leads to the third lesson. We must each repent to avoid this judgment from God. Uh, the people were looking for an answer about why suffering takes place. They assumed that such tragedies had to be the result of sin. And Jesus' answer corrected this view by pointing out that those who suffer these fates don't do so because they're worse sinners. Uh, his answer also corrected them from thinking that if they weren't experiencing such tragedies, that they must be living more righteously than others. And so in this simple statement, Jesus is telling them, we all deserve the wrath of God for our sin. And so we all must repent. The lesson from COVID, I would say, is the same. It's the same lesson we should learn from all tragedies, whether it be murder, whether it be a tower falling, 18 people being killed or a premature death. We can say that it really teaches us the same lesson. And it is this, we are all going to die. And none of us knows when, so you'd better be ready. That's really our text reduced to one sentence. All of us, death is a reality for all of us. And none of us knows for sure when that's going to happen. And so we must be ready. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 12, For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of men are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Uh, Such vivid imagery there, death being pictured as a net that sweeps up a fish. The fish is swimming along thinking he's fine and then all of a sudden uh, he's trapped. And that's the way death comes upon us. None of us knows when our time will come and so we must all be ready. Hebrews 9 verse 27 says, just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. All of us will die. None of us knows when and we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And Jesus is trying to help us to be ready for this reality. Everyone's going to die. Everybody on that tower uh, that fell that day, they would have died some other way had that not happened. Everyone sins, everyone dies, and the only way to be ready for death is to repent. And so the people that Jesus spoke to that day did not need to really know exactly why those 18 people died that day. They needed to be reminded that their appointment with death was, with death was coming too. And as long as they had life, the offer of forgiveness was theirs if they would repent. And so when we hear about a murder, like in the case of the Galileans, when we hear about accidental deaths, like the tower falling, or when we hear about people coming down with a virus and dying, we should hear the urgent message from God, repent. Now, obviously, it would be important for us at this point to ask the question, what does it mean to repent? Uh, this is clearly an important word. If this is how we escape the judgment of God, it would be uh, very important for us to understand what the word means. It comes from the Greek word metanoia, which in its most uh, basic definition means changing your mind. A change of mind or a turning. It's like when you reverse a decision. And in the New Testament, repentance means to turn from sin to Jesus Christ, to make the decision that you're not going to live in sin, you're not going to seek your own selfish desires any longer, but rather you're going to live for Christ. That's biblical repentance. Repentance. And although it is an inward change of heart, repentance will always manifest itself outwardly in actions. And so let's look at a few texts to help us understand this further. First of all, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 9, and this really shows us that repentance begins with remorse over sin. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. So, repentance begins with sorrow, godly grief, as Paul calls it there. In other words, it is remorse over our sin. We regret our sin. We're sorrowful over the fact that we've violated God's laws. That's the first step in repentance, being sorry for the wrong that you've done. And you can hardly claim to be repenting if you're still planning on. Uh, Doing whatever it was again tomorrow. True repentance begins with sorrow over our sin. And likewise, true biblical repentance is a decision that you're not going to continue living in that lifestyle. Repentance always results in changed behavior. Otherwise, the repentance wasn't real. Uh, Revelation 2 verse 5 says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at the first. So repent and do the works you used to do. You've fallen away from the place uh, that you, you were spiritually, and so repent. And works, uh, transformed actions, will inevitably follow such repentance if it is genuine. In other words, although repentance is an inward change of heart, it will result in an outward change of actions. Jesus said to Paul toward the end of verse 17 in Acts 26, I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light Uh, repentance involves. It's not merely sorrow for sin, although it includes that. It's not just turning from sin, but it's also turning to God. Notice the end of the verse there, that they should repent and turn to God. It's a 180. I'm turning back from my former way of living, and I'm turning to God in repentance. And then deeds will follow, as he says there, perform deeds in keeping with repentance. And so although repentance isn't just turning over a new leaf. It's not just, I'm going to do better, I'm going to try harder. Uh, It's not even enough just to say, I don't want to live in sin anymore, I'm going to stop now. Repentance is more than that. It's turning from your sin to Christ, to live for Jesus and to serve him. And so Jesus says, unless we repent, we will face the judgment of God. And repentance means, uh, first, that we're truly sorry for our sin against God, that we turn from it to Christ. And our lives will be different. If we've genuinely repented, works will follow this change of heart. That's the lesson that we should learn from suffering. Suffering is a tool of God that he uses in our lives to drive us to repent. Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. That's one of the reasons God allows suffering and tragedies into our lives. It is meant to drive us to repentance. And yet so often we respond in the exact opposite way. Uh, We experience trials, we experience tragedy, and we use it as an excuse to drift further from God. Suffering is meant to turn us to him, and yet our tendency is to respond to suffering with, God's not being fair to me, or I don't deserve this. The very thing that should drive us to God, we use as an excuse to hate him. But the the proper response to suffering and tragedy is, number one, remember that you're a sinner. Number two, remember you deserve the judgment of God against your sin. And number three, repent. So that's the lesson that we should gain from tragedy. We're going to wrap up with this last little parable in our text, verse six. He told this parable A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for the for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? He answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. This is a simple, easy-to-understand parable. A man has a fig tree. Uh, It's not producing fruit, and so he wants to cut it down. Uh, What's the point of a tree if it's not producing anything? It's just taking up space, and so the vine dresser says, let me aerate the ground around it so the, the water and the nutrients can get down there. Let me fertilize it, and then let's wait one more year and just see if it produces fruit. If not, you can cast it, you can cut it down. Uh, And remember, this is all said in the context of the previous passage about repenting of our sins. And so, as we've already seen, repentance is an inward change of heart that results in an outward change of actions. There will be fruit or evidence of this transformation in the actions, in the works of our lives. Jesus often used fruit trees as an example of true conversion. Matthew 7, he said, Every healthy tree that, uh, I'm sorry, every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So not everyone, Jesus says, who thinks that they are a Christian is truly saved according to Christ. A true Christian is the one who bears good fruit. That means the evidence of their life should show this repentance. And they will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does not bear good fruit, does not do the will of God, will be thrown into the fire. This is crystal clear from Jesus. But that fruit is not always uh, instant and perfect. Uh, True Christians do still struggle with sin. And so just like the fig tree, it may appear for a while that the Christian's life has no fruit. And then it starts with a little bud that slowly grows over time and the fruit becomes more and more obvious the longer somebody is a follower of Christ. And I think the lesson from the parable that Jesus gives us is, number one, that God is patient with our weakness. He gives us time to repent. Uh, He had given this tree three years to grow fruit and then he says, okay, we'll give it one more year. Uh, He doesn't just strike us dead the moment we don't uh, live like we ought to. However, another thing we should learn from this parable is God's mercy should not be taken advantage of. God is long-suffering. He is patient with us, but his patience does have a limit. And judgment will come on the one who bears no fruit. The man with the fig tree was willing to give it another year to see if there would be fruit, but if not, he says, the tree would be cut down. And so once again, Jesus is urging those listening to repent now while they have time. And the backdrop of coming judgment is behind this plea. And this fits with the passages that we've looked at in recent weeks in, in Luke chapter 12. Jesus had repeatedly said, a judgment is coming and you don't know when, so be ready. That's kind of been the theme of these last several weeks. Jesus said, be like a servant who's watching for the master's return. Be ready because Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. Make sure you're doing the master's will when he returns or you'll receive punishment. And then last week, uh, settle with the accuser outside of court before you have to stand before the judge. All of these texts we've studied are hitting at the same theme. We're all going to stand before God and we need to be prepared for that day. And Jesus shows us today that the way to be ready is repentance. Turn from your sin and live for Christ. I'm going to give four points of application before we close here. Number one, we all deserve God's judgment for our sin. We've said quite a bit about that the last several weeks. I'm not going to continue to go back over that now. Number two. Although we do deserve God's judgment for our sin, God is patient and gives us time to repent. Uh, Ezekiel 33, verse 11, Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Peter said that this patience of God giving us time to repent is why Jesus has not yet returned. Uh, Some people wonder. Jesus says he's coming back. Well, it's been 2,000 years. Where is he? Uh, Peter says in chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow uh, to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so although we do deserve the judgment of God against us for our sin, he is gracious to give us time to turn from our sins in true repentance. Number three, God's patience does not last forever. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will perish. He may wait another year for that tree to produce fruit, but if it doesn't, it will be cut down. And so God's patience with us is not to be viewed as indifference. Romans 2 verse 3, do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, Do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. Number four, then, turn from your sin to God in this time of grace. God's judgment will come. It may be that Jesus returns tomorrow and we'll all have to face him then. It may be that you'll die this week, suddenly, unexpectedly, like those 18 people that the tower fell on in Siloam. They were going about their day not knowing that it would be their last, and yet they found themselves standing before God. You want to be ready for that day. Don't wait to repent. Turn from your sin now and give your life to Christ while you have this time of grace, this period where God is patient with us. One more text, Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon Now, that is half of my sermon. Don't worry, though. I'm going to save the rest for next week. Uh, But I wanted to let you know some of what we're going to address next week, because as I've been teaching this morning, you may have some questions, especially if you've grown up in the church and you've heard certain emphasis about faith in in terms of salvation, that salvation is all about faith alone. It's not works-based. And so how does this all work with repentance? Uh, Maybe you've been taught something called eternal security, Uh, as long as basically you believe in Jesus It doesn't really matter how you live. If there's fruit there or not, you'll still make it to heaven. That's a common teaching. All of those questions I'm going to address next Sunday. And I hope you'll be here because uh, today you're really getting an incomplete sermon, but it was just too much to fit in one week. So those clarifications are very important to understand conversion biblically. And so today, uh, I guess the sermon will be sort of like link sausage. We'll whack it off here and pick up right where we left off next week. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.